0: We're gonna to start today with a little game of name that tune. Okay? I'm gonna give you about 20 seconds worth of a song, and we'll see how many of you over the course of that 20 seconds can get it. Play that first song.
1: You don't need money, don't take fame. You don't need no credit card. <laughs> nice.
0: Alright, cut it off back there. What was it? Power of Love. Love. Who was it by? Huey Lewis and the News. 1985, Back to the Future movie came out. This song was on the soundtrack. I saw the movie, immediately went out and bought the soundtrack on a cassette tape. Some of you don't know what that is. That's okay. Went home to my room. I stuck it in my jam box. Remember the jam box? I rocked out to Huey Lewis, The Power of Love. By the way, Huey was right. There is power in love. Here's the second clip, about 20 seconds. I want you to hear this one. Go ahead and play that, Joe.
1: Oh, my
0: gosh. Wow.
1: Listen, lucky that you were on the front row.
0: Y'all
1: getting it? All
0: right, cut it off back there. Listen to you fantastic. Here's what's funny. Here's what's so funny. If you're under 40, you're like, oh yeah, yeah, I know that's the Beatles. Everybody knows that. I'm watching your faces, you know, that's, yeah, that's it. If you were over 50, you sounded just like the end. Every one of you were mouthing the words. He so went back somewhere, way back, some moment in time, didn't you? You sure did. There, there is power in love, yes, and, and you know what? Paul McCartney, the Beatles, they're right too. Love is in fact all you need. Maybe you had no idea that Huey Lewis and the Beatles spent most of their downtime in Ephesians chapter three. Maybe you had no clue, but apparently they did, because their words about love are Paul's prayer for the church. And in the same way that you probably didn't expect to start this message with Huey Lewis today, the same way you didn't expect that, I think you might be surprised by exactly what Paul prays. For here, take your Bible out. Open to Ephesians chapter three, we're in verses fourteen to nineteen. This is Paul's second prayer for the church. The first is found in chapter one, verse fifteen to twenty-three. And I'm picking up where Lloyd left off last week. And and if you were here last week, you may remember that Paul started to pray this prayer in verse one. He started to pray it in verse one, and he got interrupted. That's what that long. M dash is at the end of verse one. Paul got sidetracked for 13 verses because he wanted to remind us that God's purposes are always moving forward. Wood said it this way last week. Paul takes 13 verses to say four words. God is in control. He's sovereign. It is good in his redemptive purposes. They are being accomplished through the one thing that is nearest and dearest to his heart. That is the church, you, the bride of Christ. So he pauses to say that, and now in verse 14, he goes back to what he started to pray in verse 1. And here's what I'm going to do this morning. I, I'm just going to take us through the prayer, a phrase or two at a time, and just the way that, that Paul prayed it for the church, that Paul prayed it way back 2,000 years ago for us, which... Of course, we didn't exist then, but we do now, thanks in large part to Paul, to the way that he prayed for the church, the future church, the current church, the words that he has for the church, and of course, the spirit of God's work to do all of that in him. So I'll take it a phrase at a time. We'll go through the text. I'll explain it as we go and make some observations along the way, okay? Pick it up with me in verse 14, first phrase. For this reason... I bow my knees before the Father. Now we have to ask, for what reason? And the reason that Paul is talking about here ties back to his words in chapter two. And the context is this. There has for centuries been a dividing line between the Jews and the Gentiles. Hatred, animosity between these two People groups, a deep, deep racial and cultural divide. And in chapter 2, Paul says that divide has been erased. It's no more. Jew and Gentile, by the greatness of God's grace, are now one in Christ. In other words, the mystery of God's worldwide plan for redemption is now known. People from every nation, every race, Jew and Gentile alike can be saved by grace through faith. They are one. The dividing line is no more. And it's for that reason that Paul prays that he bows his knees before the father. Now don't miss this. In the Bible, and this may sound strange to you, but when we read the Bible, we rarely find anyone going to their knees to pray. That's uncommon. Typically, when they're praying in the Bible, they're standing. They're standing somewhere. They're standing in the temple, much like we see Jews standing to pray at the wailing wall today. To kneel is not normal. It was unusual. And it indicated a deep earnestness, a deep emotion, a different kind of passion or intensity. For example, Solomon knelt to pray when he dedicated the temple in Jerusalem. Seven years in construction, gathers gathers the nation of Israel. They are there at the temple in Jerusalem to worship God. He kneels to pray. It was a significant moment. Ezra, he knelt to pray in the Old Testament when he was confessing the sins of the whole nation to God. Of course, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, he went to his knees. He fell on his face before his father to pray in the Garden of Gethsemane on the night before his death. When, when we find someone in the scripture going to their knees to pray, we pay attention. In the words that Paul uses here, he he feels them deeply. This is about God's church. He desperately wants these words to be true for us. This is a matter of utmost importance. So, in a jail cell in Rome, he drops to his knees. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he, verse 16, that he, God the Father, would grant you, you the church, according to the riches of his glory, according to his infinite resources, his infinite spiritual supply, the the endless supply from which he can actually answer this prayer. Paul reminds us of God's character. According to the riches of his glory, I pray the Father would grant you, here it is, first part, to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. We'll stop there for a minute. The The first thing that Paul prays for the church, for you and me, is for power. So you and I might be strengthened with power. How? Through the work of the Holy Spirit. Where? In our inner man. Well, what does that mean? What is the inner man? It it actually is pretty straightforward. It's everything that is inside this incredibly handsome exterior shell. That's what it is. Everything on the inside. All the parts of me that you can't see. So my mind, my will, my heart, my soul, my thoughts, my beliefs, my feelings, my emotional life, my desires, my motivations, my, my values, everything that is on the inside of me or the inside of you. We get a little clearer picture of this, what Paul means here in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, where where he uses the exact same expression. Here's what he says in verse 16 of that chapter in Corinthians. He says, though the outer man, exterior, though outwardly we are wasting away, we're getting old, the outer man won't live on, though the outer man is wasting away, the inner man, same expression, is being renewed. Day by day. What Paul's talking about here is the core of who we are. The core of our personhood, the place where our soul communes with the Spirit of God. The the outer man, the outer, that's going to fall away and die. But the inner man, for those who have trusted Christ, the inner man where our soul communes with the Spirit of God, that's being renewed day by day. And that, the inner man, will live on. And so Paul prays that for you and me so that, he says, Christ may dwell in your hearts. Another word for inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your inner man. Now, wait a minute. Doesn't Christ already dwell in our hearts, in our inner man? For the believer who's writing to, those in the church, for the saints, for you and me, doesn't Christ already dwell in our hearts? Well, Yes, is the answer. But listen to what Paul's doing here. The Greek verb that is used here for dwell is a very strong verb. It means to take up residence permanently. It means to make our hearts his home. Here's the idea. The idea is that we actually experience, yes, it's true that Christ already indwells us. If you have placed your trust in Jesus Christ, he is With you. That is full, that is complete. Nothing changes about that. But the idea here is that we experience the fullness of that more and more over time. That we actually grasp that idea in our inner man. That takes time for us to fully experience what is already true. When Hillary and I bought our house in Cottonwood in 2001, Uh, we had just enough money to cover the down payment And there were lots of things about the house that we wanted to change from from day one If you're like me, there's you know any house that you go into is like that at least to some degree and so There was this wallpaper in in the master bathroom. I'm talking hideous I mean just hideous, but it stayed for a while, right? It just couldn't get to it right away the blue carpet upstairs the royal blue carpet upstairs 1976 royal blue carpet upstairs that thing was nasty I'm talking nasty awful it was just awful there were rooms that stayed empty we didn't have furniture to put in them we were grateful to be there but we just kind of began our list and you know what over 13 years we're still in the same house over 13 years we've just been pecking away at the list right wallpapers now paint color paint color that we like The blue carpet, I hauled that thing out strip by strip. Man, that was one of the greatest days of my life, getting out of there. The furniture, you know, there's rooms now that I, you know, used to the rooms I didn't want to go into. You know, Now there's rooms playing hockey up and down these rooms. You know, now there's rooms, furniture. There's a couch, there's a dining room table, there's some chairs to sit on. We've made this house our home. We like it there. We're comfortable there. And that's the thought here. Over time, Christ makes our hearts, our inner man, his home. He changes the wall colors. He makes some repairs. He does some much-needed expansion on our hearts. And Paul prays here that we would be strengthened for that work. That the container would be strong enough to hold all that Christ wants to do in us need to be like the little boy who was heard to say when he fell into a barrel of molasses, Lord, make my capacity equal to this opportunity. That's the thought. Okay, It's the first part of Paul's prayer. It's what he prays for us, that we'd be strengthened in the inner man. And then, then Paul makes a second request, which honestly is really just a continuation of the first. We, we see this in the middle of verse 17. That's where the second request comes starts he says i pray that you would have power that you would have god would grant you the power that you being rooted and grounded in love that you church that you christians that you who are rooted agricultural metaphor you whose roots go deep in the love of Christ, that you who are grounded, architectural metaphor, you whose foundation is on the cornerstone of Jesus Christ, Ephesians 2, 20, that you who are rooted and grounded in love, you would have the power to, I want us to stop just for a minute. You would have the power to to what? Set back from the text just, just for a minute if you would. I want us to think about this. And I want us to think about this question. I want us to think about praying for power. When you pray for power, when I pray for power, what typically what are the kinds of things that we're praying for? Pray for strength, for energy. God, would you help me with this? I want a few of you just to answer this real quickly. Just yell them out. What, what are you praying for power for? What are you praying for strength for? Somebody yell it out. What, typically, what? Children, for my kids. God would be with my kids. What else? Wisdom, for wisdom to get through this day, for wisdom to answer this question, for wisdom to make this decision. What else? Health, Health, for physical health. Lord, would you sustain me? Would you help me to make it through this pain? I I wrote down similar things. Pray for help to get through the day, for strength to engage a difficult conversation, for power to, to overcome some sickness or pain or trial, power to do what I am supposed to do, to obey you. Not step into temptation or to sin. That's typically what we pray for when we think about power. Now, think about it in the context of this church. What is this church that, that, that's crossing this centuries-old racial and cultural divide where everybody's going, well, how is this going to work? What, what does the church need to pray for power for? Well, power to engage my Jewish brother who I hated yesterday, Literally strength to overcome all my preconceived notions and fears about this church. Help, Lord, would you help to make us one? Would you unify us? That's what the church needs to pray for, right? Surely that's what Paul's going to pray for. Now that Christ indwells their hearts, now that they are rooted and grounded in love, surely Paul is going to pray that God would grant them the power, the power to love one another, right? No. No. Well, then surely if it's not that, Lord, if it's not the power to love one another, then surely it must be the power to love you better. If we can love you better, then all this will take care of itself. Surely that's then what the church needs to pray for, right? No, 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 it's not. This is the twist, the surprise, the way out of left field, the the aha moment in the text. Paul prays first and foremost of greatest importance that God would grant you and me, the church that God would grant you and me, the power not to love each other better, not to love God more, but the power to know God's love for you. That's what he prays for. Power to know God's love for you. That's what matters most. Look at what he says, verse 18. And that you, my prayer for you, is that you may be able to comprehend with all the saints, that is the church, what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Power, strength, health not to now go and do something, but to be given something, to receive something, to experience something, to be loved by the greatest lover of all time. More fully and more completely than you have ever been loved before. To be bowled over by it, to be drowned in it, to be filled up with it. It's the exact opposite of what we would typically think. Completely counterintuitive to us. It's not how we typically pray. And yet it is, in the words of the famous theologian Paul McCartney, all we need. It is all we need. Listen to what A.W. Tozer writes about the immeasurable love of Christ. He says, because God is self-existent, his love had no beginning." Because he is eternal, his love can have no end. Because he is infinite, it has no limit. Because he is holy, it is the quintessence of all spotless purity. And because he is immense, his love is an incomprehensibly vast, bottomless, shoreless sea. His love knows no dimensions. It's limitless. Paul says here that his love even surpasses knowledge. What does that mean? Look at this play on words in verse 19. You can see it here. Know and knowledge to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge. How do we know the unknowable? This is something, I want you to think about it this way. This is something that moves beyond the head moves beyond the mind, moves beyond mental understanding and finds its home, its dwelling place deep in the heart, in the inner man. It's to experience something, to feel something, to truly know something at the very core, the deepest part of your soul in a way that the conscious mind can't even fully understand, in a way that human words can't even fully understand express. A few years ago, Hillary and I were sitting with a counselor working on our marriage. One of the things that we were working on was my inability to connect with her at a deeper level. And so I was asking him to try to help take me there, help unlock some things in me that were just stuck and been stuck for a long, long time. Feelings and things that I knew were there that I had difficulty accessing, difficulty expressing. And I was missing Hillary at that level. And so he was helping me with this and he, and he, and he just said, hey man, just tell me, tell me something that you dream about. Start unlocking that a bit. And so I said, I don't know. You know, I, I dream about winning golf tournaments. One thing I dream about, yeah. Great, good, tell me about that. Well, I, I don't know, just like, what do you mean? He said, well, just like, what does it look like? What does it feel like? You know, and I said, well, I don't know. I'm just coming down the stretch and I play great and I get to the last hole and I knock it on the green and I stand over a short putt and I make it and I win. That's, that's my dream. Well, what happens then? Gosh, lift my putter up. I walk off the green. I I won. I'm victorious. Hillary's sitting next to me on the couch. She starts crying. I'm bawling. I'm like, what? You don't want me to win a golf tournament? (laughs) No. She looks at me and she says, you know, Bill, it doesn't have to be my dream. I don't even have to shape the dream. I just want to be a part of the dream. I just want to be the first one that's coming, running towards you when that moment happens, that embraces you, shares in that moment with you. And I'm like, oh, well, that'd be great. Yeah, would be awesome. <laughs> yeah. good idea. Great idea, yeah. My yeah. oh, gosh. Talk about putting somebody in their place. That was on a Tuesday <laughs> on a... Uh, on a Wednesday, I left for a golf tournament Little Rock, big invitational golf tournament, never played in before. I go over there on a Wednesday. On Thursday, me and a partner, we qualify. We qualify in the top 16 of to 200. We're in the championship flight. Win our match on Friday. We win our match on Saturday. On Sunday morning, we're in the semifinals. We beat these two guys, really, really good players, one up in the, in the semifinals on the last hole. And in the afternoon match, the championship match, people are all around. I'm coming down the last hole, literally. I knock it on the green. I make a putt, we win. That is unbelievable. We went and I turn around and Hillary is running toward me on the green. Running. She's running toward me. Now you got to understand something. I have won very few golf tournaments in my life, like this many. (laughs) That's the truth. (laughs) This many. But I'm going to remember that one. It's not because I won. It's because of the way Hillary loved me in that moment. That's a love that surpasses knowledge. It's a love that goes way down in here. That's a love that passes the conscious mind. She moved past my inadequacy, past my emotional absence, past my inability to meet her needs. And she met me, the very real me, the inner me right in the deepest part of my soul. She knew me, all of me, and still met me right there. That's that's love that runs deep, isn't it? That's love that goes beyond the mind. And Paul says that when Jesus Christ loves us that way, we are filled up. To know the love of Christ is to be filled up from the inside, from the inside all the way up to out. That's what this last phrase says in the text filled with the fullness of Him. Here's what Paul writes to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. It's Paul's way of talking about spiritual maturity, our spiritual maturity. Paul's way of talking about our sanctification, our life change. That that comes not as a result of how much we love others. It's not in here. That comes not as a result of how much we love God. That's That's not here. It comes as a result of how deeply you know God's love for you. And when that light goes on, guess what? All that other takes care of itself. It does. I'm filled up in here with God's love. Guess what? I'm going to love you pretty good. Filled up in here with the completeness, the fullness of all of Christ's love and sacrifice for me. I'm going to respond to God pretty good. Those things follow. How is it then? How, how do I deal with the emotional weight of troubled kids? How do I deal with that? Well, wait a minute. How, how do I keep battling this debilitating disease? How do I engage these difficult relationships, these difficult conversations? How, how do I eradicate animosity, so to speak, between the Jews and the Gentiles? Only, only, listen, only, only by grasping The breadth and the length and the height and the depth of Jesus Christ, infinite love for you. I want that. I want that. You want that? I need that. Desperately need that. So how do you get it? How how do we get it? Well, Paul says you (laughs) can't. Sorry, you can't. No not apart from God granting it to us. It only comes when God grants it. So what do I do? Well, we fall on our knees like Paul and we pray with a renewed earnestness for the one thing that matters most, the one thing that we most need to get, most need to grasp, that we most need to understand. We prayed with a renewed earnestness. We pray that God the Father would grant us the power. He would give us the strength through the Holy Spirit in our inner man to know the limitless dimensions of the love of Christ. That's what we pray. And so that's what we're going to do. This is our so what corporately. We're going to pray together. We're going to pray this text in the way that Paul prays it for us. We're going to pray it for ourselves and we're going to pray it for one another there's a little phrase in verse 18 that i mentioned briefly but that i love paul says this we are only able to comprehend this love fully with the saints do you see it with the church Here he is again, back on the church, the importance of it in the community of faith, in the local expression of the church. That's where we fully understand God's love for us. And so we're going to pray together today as the church with the saints. I'm going to lead us and I'll give you some room to make these requests to God. You can make them in a very personal way. I'll give some space for that. And if you would like to kneel, even as Paul did, I want you to feel free to do that. You can do it right at your chair. You can just turn around in your chair in the row there. Or you can come up here and kneel at these steps. You, you can do that. I, I need to say this. It's, it's not comfortable to kneel on this concrete floor. It's not. I've tried it. It's not comfortable to kneel in these rows. They're tight. They are. we got as many chairs as we possibly could get in this room. But it's no less comfortable than the hard floor of a jail cell in Rome, is it? And sometimes... The posture of our bodies needs to reflect the posture of our hearts. So this isn't for everybody, but if you need to kneel, please take these four or five minutes and kneel as we pray. I'll lead us. Let's take a few minutes to pray together. When we pray, it is an act of submission to one who is higher, one who is greater, our Father. And so as you go before the Father this morning, would you simply first acknowledge his greatness? Acknowledge his character. Take just a minute to do that. Acknowledge your act of surrender to his will, his purposes, his ways. Your posture reflects your heart of surrender. Would you just acknowledge that he is the authority. You are surrendered to him. Acknowledge his capacity to answer your prayer. He can do it. He's able. According to the riches of his glory, a storehouse that never runs dry. That's what he brings to the table when you pray. Would you acknowledge his capacity to answer your prayer? Now pray that he would grant you power. That he would strengthen you with power. Power through his spirit in your inner man. In the deep part of you. Ask Jesus, who already indwells you, to make himself known to you. Make his presence known to you in the depth of your soul. Ask him to continue his work on your heart, restoring rearranging, expanding every area, every room, every place that needs his touch. Thank him for rooting you and grounding you in love. Thank you. Thank him for his presence, his currency of love that you find your foundation in. And where the world says constantly to us, you have to perform, you have to gain, you have to do, you have to go constantly, constantly, constantly. Would you make this huge ask of your father? Ask the father in the context of a world that spins in exactly the opposite way to grant you the power to truly grasp the love of Christ for you. and all your inadequacy, all your deficiency, and all your limited capacity, that you would know it deep, deep in the depth of your own heart. you would know all the facets and dimensions of his love, the breadth, the length, the height, the depth. To know it in a way that surpasses knowledge, wow, it's way, way more than mental assent or understanding. Be filled up by it, washed over with it, to be filled with more and more of him, of Christ, of the essence of who he is, fullness of who he is in us. Father, we ask these things because we know we need them. We ask them because we want them. We desire this to be true of us. We ask this because we get it reversed. We get it mixed up trying to prove our love for you. Would you help us to receive your gift? Would you grant us the power to grasp it? It's in your son's name that I pray. Amen. Amen. You can stand if you would. Would you stand with me? We begin this service with or this message with two songs. We thought it would be good to end it with one. Not, Not the love of Huey Lewis this time, not that one, but the love of Jesus Christ, the only love that can truly satisfy our soul. So would you lift your voices as we sing of the infinite measurable, incomprehensible, limitless dimensions of the love of Jesus Christ. Would you lift your voices with me?
1: Higher than the mountains at our face Stronger than the power of the grave Constant in the trial This one thing.
0: that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor any other created thing will be able to separate you from the love of Jesus Christ. Go in peace and in that love. We'll see you next week.